Thank you. You may be seated. Our gospel text today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. We'll be looking at verses 25 through 33. That is Luke 14, 25 through 33. Now large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down to estimate the cost, to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and was not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able, with 10,000, to oppose the one who comes to him with 20,000? If he cannot, then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for some term of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. The word of God for the people of God. So for a few years now, uh, our house has been a house that they refer to in the biz, a cord cutter house, uh, which basically means that we've cut the, the, ca- the cable bill and the satellite bill out of our uh, monthly expenses. Uh, and instead, uh, we use our own media collection or streaming services to, uh, to have TV in the house. Uh, it's saved us a ton of money in the long run. Uh, it's a little frustrating from time to time. I occasionally have to borrow uh, my dad's uh, Xfinity sign-in to watch uh, ball games. Uh, so we kind of cheat a little bit, you know, we lean on folks. Um, but uh, it's really, for the most part, been kind of easy, I would say. The one thing for the longest time we missed, though, was junk television. You know, that like it's Sunday afternoon and we don't want to move, so we're going to watch 40 episodes of Chopped one right after the other. Do you all ever go through that? Uh, or it's 2 o'clock in the morning and I can't sleep, so I'm going to just watch people try to sell trailers in Panama City Beach uh, until I pass out. Stuff random. There's random stuff on television. I don't know if y'all are aware. Um, but Netflix has recently been there for us uh, in this time of junk television need uh, because they've been just dumping junk TV into their collection. Uh, and they know very well that that's what we want to watch at this point. So it pops up and it's like, hey, would you like to watch 45 episodes of a show about lifeguards in a beach in Australia? Yes, you would. And Alicia just eats it like candy. (laughs) Uh, There's one where it's this weird reality show competition about folks also in Australia. I think there's a theme um, of... uh, folks running Airbnbs, you know, like turning their homes into little hotels and then fighting each other about it and they just bicker and it becomes very vindictive and it's very fun to watch. Um, But there's one thing that I found the other day that was called Grand Designs. It's a British show uh, and we put it on to fall asleep to and I got, I hate it when I put a show on to fall asleep and then I get hooked. Do y'all ever do that? And that's what happened to me in this. Uh, the first, so the whole premise of the show is each episode is devoted to this one very fancy build or renovation uh, of some sort of house. Uh, and this first episode was about an Irish man 
uh, who's a play actor who got really famous in London. Uh, his name's Sean Simmons. And he grew up in the Irish countryside and while he was out playing in the woods as a kid, found this old abandoned castle. And it became this castle that he just played in as a kid. And so after he made it big on the stage in London, uh, he took like basically his first big paycheck and went and bought that land that had that castle on it. And then 10 years later, the show finds him because he's wanting to renovate it. He's wanting to spend millions of dollars to make this castle that he played in as a child his home. Uh, and so he, he shows up, he's got these grand plans, he wants to make the basement a recording studio, and he wants to make the base level have like 12 guest rooms, and the second floor just be this huge master suite for him to live in. Um, but the host is like, I've seen a lot of builds and this isn't going to work, like all, constantly. And I was like, this is a very pessimistic host. Um, but the guy was skeptical for a reason, because this, this fella had no architect. He had no real plans, except for just the plans that he'd made in his head. He hadn't drawn anything out. He hadn't written anything down. Uh, and as he's going through this build, whenever the contractors put something up that he doesn't like or has a problem, he makes them just tear it down and start over. So they're constantly, oh, this room's too dark. Let's start fresh. Let's try to do something different. And so they, the episode, the hour-long episode, they meet him every year, basically. It's like, what's happened so far over the last year? And he's like, well, I've spent a million and a half dollars. And uh, it's, it's, the bank won't give me any more money. And all this, he's just constantly going through it. And I wish that there was a, a, a good ending to this story, but there's really not. Because that was filmed in 2012. And you can look it up right now. That thing is still sitting as unfinished as it was when the show finished. Uh, it's got a uh, warning, do not trespass. Uh, it's dangerous uh, signs all over it. Uh, it's more uh, in a state of disrepair than it was when he started uh, at the grand scheme of things because this actor refused to sit down and count the cost. He refused to figure out what he needed to do to succeed in this endeavor. And because of that, his treasure his focus, his life's work are sitting abandoned. Now, for junk television, I'm amazed by how much this fits with our gospel text today. It's just fascinating to me how just this random thing resonated so fully with this text. Because Jesus is talking to this crowd that's following him. Uh, and he starts teaching, and most of the time that he's teaching, he spends on this idea of counting the cost. He tells a story that you could rip straight from that episode of Grand Designs, of a man who does not count the cost before building a tower, and is ridiculed because it is left unfinished, much the way that I was laughing at that Irishman the whole time he's standing up there and talking about his beautiful castle. He talks about a king waging war and not sitting down to consider the losses of the army. But we're not here today building towers. I don't think any of you are building a tower right now and didn't tell me. I would help. Just give me a call. Um, or waging war. And I know that that's not what these crowds following Jesus were doing in that day. They were likely poor, likely hungry, likely looking for direction and looking for someone to follow. What cost was Jesus talking about then? And what does it mean to us today? Now, if you will indulge me for a half second, I have to get a little seminary instructory. 
uh, because when we talk about Scripture, we tend to talk about pericopes of Scripture. Pericope is one of those $2 words they teach you in seminary, but it's an important one uh, because it's hard to talk about how to interpret Scripture without first understanding this word because pericope is from the Greek word kopi meaning to cut and peri meaning around. So basically you cut around and just take this one section of scripture. A pericope is a whole section of scripture that can be read on its own. Of course, there's uh, you know the, the sections around each pericope that we still have to understand, but it's important to not just pull out one phrase, one section, one verse without considering the whole of it. And so this pericope that we read today, we can't just read a portion of it. We have to read the whole thing together. And that's hard for us because this story of counting the cost of building a tower or of kings waging war is surrounded by things that we tend to pull out by themselves. They're verses that you will hear for better or for worse by themselves. These three verses before and after say, the first, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Followed by, similarly, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And that one is one that I hear all the time. I don't know about y'all, but I hear it all the time by itself. And lastly, so therefore none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. These are statements that for us and for the followers at that day can be confusing, partially because we tend to read them by themselves. These statements can be taken alone so often that they, they are like these weird nuggets of the confusing parts of Jesus' teaching, especially because we, when read in isolation, they tend to completely flip in our understanding of what life looks like. The argument, though, that Jesus and Luke in writing the gospel this way are making requires us to read and understand the whole of it together. I believe these statements are ultimately meant to be read through the lens of realizing the cost of being a disciple of Jesus, to live a life worthy of the kingdom of God. So when we read that we must hate family or even life itself, we have to first read that through the lens of what the kingdom of God is. It's hard to shake that hate isn't what we're here to do. Paul tells us that love is a fruit of the spirit, right? But right before that, it says, and likewise, hate is a fruit of sinfulness, a fruit of the flesh, a fruit of wickedness. So, so what does Jesus mean in this situation? Is this a contradiction in scripture? I think we have to, to look at the word hate being used in this gospel text in another section to understand kind of how this word is to be interpreted. Another text in Luke has this word, the, the Greek word maseo, that we translate into hate. It is also a famous text. No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate maseo the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. Who's heard that before? It's a pretty common one, yeah? Now, in this lesson, Jesus is saying that the life, that the path of, of God, the life that is the path of the kingdom of God, has us follow, and the path 
of accumulating wealth does not intersect. Jesus is saying that the life of following God will butt up against the natural desires of the world, the accumulation of wealth and possessions. The desire to follow the world will forever be at odds with the desire to follow God. But that doesn't mean that we don't still live in the world, that we completely eschew the systems that make up the world. That does not mean that we have to quit our jobs and live a monastic life churning butter in order to continue to live in the kingdom of God. We still interact with money. We still make money. We still spend money. We just can't let the love of money control us. So then, it's safe to assume that this is similar to what Jesus is saying about family, about life. So what does this mean? I'm going to tell you all a story. Friday night, Alicia and I went on a date. Uh, we hadn't gotten a chance, just the two of us, to do this in a while. And, uh, so uh, we decided kind of last minute to see if Alicia's mom would watch the girls. Uh, and so we could just spend some time alone and decompress. But because we planned this so, so hastily in the grand scheme of things, it was just Thursday night we decided this, we had no clue what we were going to do, uh, which was kind of freeing in and of itself, not having to plan anything. Um, but she met me at work uh, as I was getting off, uh, and we drove to a restaurant in Midtown, had a couple of drinks and appetizers, uh, talked about our week, uh, and, and kind of people watched. This was a very full uh, restaurant. Uh, and so that was nice, but it was like 6.30 or so, and we were kind of done there. And we didn't want to come home because we, the girls were spending the night at their grandma's house. How are we supposed to just pack it up before the sun even went down? So we started talking about it, and Alicia said, hey, why don't we just go downtown and sit at Tom Lee and watch the sunset? And so we went to Tom Lee Park, uh, or decided that we were going to go to Tom Lee Park to watch the sunset. So we packed up because we were in Midtown and drove downtown, got a parking spot. Uh, and I don't know when the last time any of y'all were downtown in Memphis or uh, in really any big city, uh, but there's an infestation afoot. Uh, there are birds. Um, yeah, see, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but also limes or bolt. Is that the last one? Yes. So there's these electric scooters all over the place. And it's these, so these companies came in and they dropped these scooters off. And they're just basically on every street corner or every sidewalk, or daggum near everywhere. Um, you download an app, you scan the scooter that you're standing next to, it attaches that scooter to you, you pay a small fee, and you can just drive it around until you're done with it. Then you just leave it wherever you are, they charge you, and you go on your way. Um, I think I counted like more, I counted more than 100 while we were out there uh, Friday night, uh, before I gave up counting. Because a lot of times it'd be like six, seven, eight, just sitting right next to each other, just waiting for you. Uh, and I tell you what, they're fun as all get out. I'm just going to let, I'm going to, I'm telling you, uh, you just sit down and it's, uh, I think we spent what, like $8 a person riding around for almost an hour. Um, they're fast. You feel like you're going like crazy. It's, you're going like 20 miles an hour, but you feel like you're like flying. Um, especially when you're kind of like weaving through traffic and barely escaping death. It's fun watching Alicia do it because she's, uh, she's got this like, She's tense the whole time. She's just like ready for whatever ambulance visit is coming. Uh, but it's uh, so we rode around for a little bit, uh, rode the couple of blocks to the river, and something weird happened when we hit Tom Lee. 
uh, the, the little light on the scooter blinked and it beeped. And then all of a sudden, uh, we weren't going as fast as we were on the road. Um, now, it's not a bad thing at all, really, because it was a nice day and there were a ton of people in the park. Uh, and I really don't want to barrel through a crowd at high speeds because that's a great way to get sued. Um, the kids playing with their, you know, kids playing on all the playground things and there's families going on walks. And we're just leisurely now scooting through the park and don't really even think about the fact that it slowed us down. Uh, until we stop to take a picture with the sunset behind us and Alicia pulls her phone out to take a picture and sees a notification that says you're in a slowdown zone. Uh, you're brought down, you're throttled down to 12 miles an hour until you leave the zone. And I looked at mine and saw that there's grayed out spots all like all up Main Street. It's 12 miles an hour only. It's it, GPS checks you. How crazy is this technology? It GPS checks you, determine where you are. When it sees you're in one of these slowdown zones, it throttles the speed down to 12 miles an hour. Uh, they they didn't turn off. As much as you would think, they might turn off. Kind of like, have, have you all been in the thing where you push the, 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 the shopping cart too far out of the parking lot and it stops the, the shopping cart? It's the same kind of thing where GPS locates. It's like a, uh, to try to keep them from going out of their property. And so it's like you're pushing it just breaks and it won't move anymore. Those wheels stop, um, which is really jarring, especially if it's full of groceries. Uh, but you should try that sometime. Um, but it didn't do that to us with this scooter. Nobody came like with, with lights blaring and took the scooters and threw them in the river or anything like that. As much as you would have expected some sort of, no, you're not supposed to be here, it just slowed us down. Things had to function differently there. Things had to change. The cost of being on this scooter changed in that moment. Maybe in the text we're reading today, when Jesus says that we have to count the cost if we're following Jesus, means that once you enter into this relationship, just like once we entered into that park, things suddenly work differently. The things the world tells us are important lose some gravity to them. Money doesn't mean what it means to the world to us when we're following Jesus. We, in part, have to be prepared to part with our possessions because the pathway of the kingdom of God calls for that from time to time. The love we have for our family doesn't take the precedence that it once did. And the calling of God to love our neighbor means that sometimes our understanding of family has to grow. Our love of our own life can't come before our love of God because... Just as Jesus said, sometimes the path that Jesus walked leads to the cross. Doesn't mean that we burn our money or we turn our backs on anyone related to us or that we just jump off a bridge because life doesn't mean anything anymore. Rather, it just means that in this space, in this life, those things have different rules now. They're not the things driving us anymore. That doesn't mean they're not here, that they're not beautiful or useful in their own right. Just like how that scooter didn't go a little slower, if it hadn't have gone a little bit slower, I wouldn't have seen the beauty of that sunset. I wouldn't have had the chill conversation that I was having with Alicia as we drove through the park that day. 
it's through living this life of faith that we're able to see our ability to work and play as God-given gifts in the first place. That's the, the secret about all of this, though. Jesus isn't saying that working or playing or being with family or eating or loving people are bad. But he's saying that the world has made them into something they're not made to be. The world made greed an ugly thing out of the beauty of sustainability and generosity. The world made idolatry and control and fear of losing people out of the beauty that is a family. And, God made, er, and the world made fear of death out of the beauty that is living life to the fullest. So answer the call of Jesus today to count the cost, to slow down, and don't let the world blind you to the beauty of walking in the kingdom of God.